again. Well, we are glad that you are here today. Thank you so much for coming. And that was a beautiful song. And Judy leans over to me and says, that's a great song for Cairo. And it really, really is. Now, I understand, by the way, I've learned, I think I'm pronouncing that in a non-Southern Illinois way. But uh, that's the way we pronounce it anyway. But anyway, we would, I want to really encourage you. Brother Dave made something really clear. It's important. This is not a Dorisville event. We're in charge of part of that in the park. But this is an IBSA event from across the state. And we are praying that Cairo will just be inundated with people who love Jesus that day. And to, again, the words of the song, to just let them know Jesus is not too far from here. From here. So clear your calendar, July the 29th. We're going to take the bus, and we'll take both vans if we need to, to get you down there. Probably leaving, I would say, probably 8 o'clock in the morning. Getting home probably about 4.30 or 5 o'clock. And I'm hoping you can be a part. Again, if you participated in our back to our, excuse me, our Sunday in the Park events, it's a lot like that. So classes, if you've done a certain event, uh, that would be a great opportunity for you to go down there and share the love of Jesus. So... Please consider doing that. Then, today, we have the latest edition of the Billman family with us. Mr. Jew, where are you guys at? He's, he's... All right. We're going... We'll leave that alone, okay? <laughs> Tell him we hope he enjoys his meal, all right? But we are so glad to have Jude with us. Uh, first time, and uh, God bless you. And like I say, I, I was mentioning them. I think I mentioned this to them when I found out they're going to have a boy. You know, you're only one away from a basketball team, so hey. But anyway, God bless you guys, and God has certainly blessed you with wonderful children, and we're grateful for that. Well, today we're smack dab in the middle of our Crosstalk series, and uh, it's really a message today that I hope you will hear. If you're here today, and um, you're befuddled by God, that's a lot happening in our culture. There's more and more people just going, I just don't believe in God anymore, you know? And I don't know if it's because they look at us and, and kind of are befogled about, they see God in us and say, I'm not sure that's a God I want. I don't know, I don't really don't know what it is. But if you're here today and you perhaps have questioned the existence of God, um, I pray you'll listen today anyway and hear what the Word of God has to say about how much God does love you. And then if you've experienced that love, I so appreciate David using that word. God, let us be overwhelmed with you again today. Because, you know, there's so many things in life we're underwhelmed with. You know, we're not overwhelmed. We're underwhelmed. And, and I think because of that, we've come up with different sayings for, for events in our life that are, like, really, really big. Like, you know, for instance, we'll say this. You know, I had the best day ever. You know, and, and when you have a, you know, when every day is kind of average, you have a really good day. You say, I had the best day ever. And, and then we go on vacation, we go somewhere and we go, it was the trip of a lifetime. And, and of course, then you met your future wife and you said something to someone and you said, you know what? I met the greatest woman in the world, the woman I want to spend the rest of my life with. Then, of course, there's that not so good, the negative kind of thing where they talk about, you know, the hundred year flood. You know, a flood will happen. They'll say, this is a hundred year flood. And I looked at that, by the way, so I could tell you exactly what that means. That means that, that in a hundred years, there's a 1% chance in any given year that a flood of that magnitude will occur. And of course, if you do out the math, then there's the thousand year flood. And that means there's like a, what, a one one hundred chance of, of a flood happening in any particular given year in a thousand years. And by the way, for your information, we had a thousand year flood. 
1993, if you remember those days, um, man, some bunch of rain fell in the wrong place up north, and the, and the Mississippi River flooded, and levees broke, and homes were lost. It was a really, really big deal in 1993, a thousand-year flood. Today, I want to talk about something even bigger than a thousand-year flood. You know, there's a, there's a term that they use for a mass catastrophe that would wipe out all of mankind. It's called an extinction-level event. An extinction-level event. And that's what I want to talk about today at the first part of the message. Now, what you hear and see in the movies a lot is if a giant meteor, okay, were to strike the earth, the impact at that speed, and if it made it through the atmosphere, and a giant one would, it would literally destroy life on earth. So scientists came up with this term, extinction level event. It's an event that would happen that no one would survive. And there is an event in our past that was an extinction level event. No, I'm not talking about the dinosaurs. I'm talking about mankind. And I'm talking about an event that occurred about 6,000 years ago. So if you want to take your Bibles this morning, and I I don't think this is up there, guys, on on the slide, but I want to begin today with Genesis chapter 2, and I want to talk about an extinction-level event that literally killed mankind, that literally killed mankind spiritually. There were no survivors, spiritually. Now, in Genesis chapter 2, we have life before Ellie, Ellie being extinction level event, Ellie. We have, what was life like before Ellie occurred? Well, again, about 6,000 years ago, we find man in the garden. He's been created by God, and this is, a, this is a great time in the history of man. Now, granted, there's only one, but it was still a good time. In Genesis 2.15, the Bible says, The Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden to work it and watch over it. He was the manager and steward of the garden. This is before sin. Uh, there was not the sweat of the brow thing going on. There was no sickness. There was no pain. There was no sorrow. It was a great time in the garden. That's how things were before Ellie came along. And so he put him in there to manage it and to be a steward of it. But then the Lord said in verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on that day you eat from it, you will certainly die. So, so here God says there is a tree. And you know what I really think? I don't think it was a, like a particular, it was a particular tree, but it was the tree that God picked for that. Because this is all about trusting God. God put that there so Adam would have a choice to make. That he could either, A, choose to obey God, to love God and trust God, or choose to rebel against God. Because God didn't want robots. He wanted people who would willingly follow him. So God said, there's a tree, and if you eat of that tree, you need to know something. You're most certainly going to die. There is going to be an LA event. There's going to be an extinction-level event if you eat from that tree. So we fast-forward just a little bit. Now God has created Eve. Life is still good. They're in the garden. And I would imagine something like in Genesis chapter 3 now. um, In Genesis chapter 3, we probably see Eve and Adam doing their grocery shopping. 
In other words, they would go out in the evening or in the morning, and they would go out and get the fruit that they wanted from the different trees that they would have to eat. And lo and behold, there is a serpent who comes in. It's Satan in the form of a serpent. serpent. And he says something like, you know, did God really say you couldn't eat of the trees? Trying to cast a doubt on there. And Eve asks him, and here's the crazy part. They are on the verge of the greatest tragedy to mankind. Now, there's been a lot. The Holocaust. Six million Jews exterminated. There's been some huge tragedies. But what is about to happen is going to spiritually cause the death, so it will cause the death spiritually of any man, woman, child ever born. That's huge. That is an extinction-level event, spiritually speaking. Well, here's what happens. The woman said to the serpent, when we may eat of the fruit from the trees in the garden." But about that fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. There will be an LE event. There will be an extinction level event spiritually. And then in verse 4, Satan says, no, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. And I know if you know this story, and by the way, you probably know this story, because I love teaching this part of Genesis particularly. Um, If you know this story, you want to go, wait, not fair. Satan lied to her. Well, let me ask you a question. Has Satan ever lied to you? Uh, Yeah, a lot, a lot, all right? And besides that, here's what you need to know. In the spiritual realm... Things aren't fair. In the spiritual realm, things aren't fair. In a negative way, in a negative way, with Satan, they're not fair. Because he lies. He cheats. He steals. In fact, the word says, John, you know, Jesus said in, in, in the book of John, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So things aren't fair. Satan, listen, look at me. Satan does not play fair. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your character. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to steal your children. He wants to take your children. That's how he plays. So in a negative way, Satan doesn't play fair. But the good news is, in a good way, God doesn't play fair either. Because after Ellie is apart and is fixing to be, after this extinction-level event spiritually, God would have full right to just wipe out Adam and Eve, and mankind, he'd been totally fair. In fact, God would be fair to send every person ever born to hell because we've sinned against him. That's fair. He would be totally justified in doing that. But he didn't do that. Rather, he made a way that every man, woman, and child could come back into relationship with him. So be thankful that in the spiritual realm, with God, things are not Fair. Well, to continue the story, no, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, from your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, this is really unfair. Satan really tells a whopper here. First off, he says, you won't die. Then he says this. Here's what God doesn't want you to know. Life would be better without God. 
Life is better without God. If you meet and talk to a true atheist, that's what they're going to tell you. That religion, and really throwing God in that pot, religion, God is a scourge on society. It's a guilt thing. It's a guilt trip thing. And the world would be better off without God. Does that not sound like what Satan said? You will not surely die. In fact, God knows that when you eat of this tree, that you'll be just like, You'd be better off without God. Hey, God's whispered something in the ear of believers with that. You get discouraged. You get disillusioned with God. Life is hard. Circumstances are bad. And you are, hear that whisper in your ear. Oh, this is your God, huh? The one who says he loves you, huh? Wouldn't your life be better? Wasn't life better before God? And wouldn't your life be better without God? Ever heard those lies before? Yeah. You probably have. You probably have. Well, the woman, in verse number 6, the woman sees, you know, she saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at as aesthetically pleasing. And it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. And she took some of the fruit and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband. And let me dot, 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 who happened to be standing there. Who happened to be standing there. And the Bible says that he ate it. Women, ladies, let, let me tell you this. You know, men, have you ever done this to your wife? I did this. Matter of fact, I did this to my wife either Friday night or yesterday. I think it was Friday. We were talking about something, you know, and I said, you know, if you hadn't messed up in the garden, we wouldn't be in this situation. Uh, you know, I, did I not say that just recently? I did, and we say that sometimes. But here's the deal. Ladies, you can, be, you, can be, you can be assured that stupid with men is not a new thing. We've been stupid from the get-go. And I know that because, see, the big deal is not why she ate the fruit. The big deal is why he didn't stop her. What was this protector, this, this man doing while his wife chose to disobey God? He's standing there with his finger in his ear. We do stupid really well. So she eats and he eats also. At that very moment, Ellie occurred. Because God had said... If you eat of that tree, and really if you disobey me, let's just put it out there where you can grab it. If you disobey me, you're going to die. And that moment in time, spiritually, they died. And because they died, every person ever born has been born dead spiritually. Extinction level Event. Paul wrote it this way in the book of Romans. He said, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sin. Let me read those last words again. And death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sin. Men sinned. Extinction level event. Something happened 
they died spiritually. Spiritually, the pure man became extinct. Well, he goes on and says this. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And what that's trying to say is, is that they were exposed in their guilt. They had sinned against God, and they were exposed and bearing the weight of their guilt. And then the Bible says, So they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. What did they try to do? They tried to cover their guilt. They tried to cover their guilt. They tried to fix the problem. Men have been trying to fix the problem since they were created and since they sinned, actually. You can't fix death. You cannot fix death. And because they transgressed and they're our spirit, they're our, our, our father and mother ultimately, all people came from Adam and Eve. We are all born with a sinful nature. We're all born spiritually dead. We're all born separated from God. So they tried to fix it. And you can't fix death. Yeah. Yesterday I was working in the yard. And... Uh, Sometime, and I'm really not sure when this happened, to be honest with you, but I was trimming some ivy down, and, uh, you know, that kind of hangs down from trees. So I'm up on this ladder just whacking away, and in the ivy was this uh, wild rose bush. And I mean, this dude was mean. I mean, it had more thorns than Carter's got pills. And so I'm cutting and carefully grabbing it. You know, I didn't have my gloves on like I should have had, trying to do this. And I remember sometime in that process, or maybe when I was loading, or maybe even after I loaded, I found one laying in the, in, the, in the debris, and I didn't pick up, and I went back and got it and found it. Regardless, we were eating supper, and Judy goes, there's blood on your nose. And I said, really? It kind of reminds me of James. You know, a man looks in the mirror and doesn't do anything about it. Well... So there's blood on your nose. So I didn't think anything about it. And I, I always take a shower at night, took a shower at night, got up this morning, got ready to make coffee, stood in front of the sink in the mirror and washed out my little coffee thing for my Coreg and go ahead and put it in there. Everything's cool. And then I go back into the bathroom about an hour later. Now, I looked at the mirror at least twice. And across my nose was this huge scratch. Now, listen, we're not talking about, we're talking from here to hear. We're talking big. And I'm going, Judy, I went downstairs and found her. Why didn't you tell me about this? I said, you have blood on your nose, but you didn't tell me that I'd scratched my nose all the way across. And I said, because you're wondering where this story is going, we've got to do something about this. So your pastor's wearing makeup today. I didn't, listen, I didn't want to endure the ridicule. What did you do to your nose? Did Judy finally get enough? So I covered it up. I tried to fix it. But the scratch is still there. We may mask our sin with our good works. We may mask our sin with our religion. We may mask our sin with, look how good I am. But the problem's still there. Unless Jesus comes in to the equation. So that day, L.A. became a reality. Extinction level event. Every spiritual 
every person ever born spiritually dead. And that brings us up to the cross. We're in the midst of the cross talk. And what happens on the cross is God's answer to Ellie. Extinction level event. And believe me, this was not intentional, but it popped in my head. I said, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. See, God took the original Ellie and made a new one. The first one was extinction level event. Every person spiritually died. The new Ellie is eternal life event. Eternal life event. That God offers eternal life to every man, woman, and child who are willing to trust what happened on this Roman cross. Trust the man of the cross. So that's where we pick up today. We're in the Gospel of Mark, and we're about three hours in. The Bible says in Mark 15, 33, when it was noon. So we know that Jesus was nailed on the cross about 3 o'clock in the morning. So for three hours, he has endured the cross. In terms of the crucifixion, really that's not that long. Because I told you earlier on in the series, it was not uncommon for people to hang there for 24 hours. So he's been hanging on the cross about three hours. He's spoken three times. As they drove the nails into his wrist, and as they lifted the beam up, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The second time he spoke, one of the criminals said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He said, I tell you today... You will be with me in paradise. As Jesus, from the perspective of the cross, looks down, he sees his mother and the apostle John standing there and wanting to make sure his mother was taken care of because Jesus always thought about others. He says, woman, a term of endearment, woman, behold your son. Man, behold your mother. He took care of those around him. Three hours in. And the Bible says in Mark 15, 33, when it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. So for three hours, there was darkness on the face of the earth. What's up with that, Dwayne? What's up with this darkness thing? Well, there's really a couple reasons. You know, in John 3, 19, it says this, and this is the condemnation, Jesus speaking, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. What's up with the darkness? Because what had occurred? Because of the original Ellie. That's, it represented black, blackness and darkness, brutality of sin. But also references what's about to happen. What is happening on the cross? Because the Bible says that at three in the afternoon, At the sixth hour, nine to three. And at three, Jesus cries out with a loud voice and says this. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God... My God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? This is this is one of the most powerful things 
in this whole passion story. To kind of help you understand, if you can get your arms around this, for the first time, for the last time, for the only time, God the Father and the Son are separated. God the Father turns his back on his Son as he hangs on the cross. He forsakes him. And did you, get, you really got to get the significance of this. On, on August the 21st, 2017, about five weeks from now, you've heard it on the news that there's going to be an eclipse here that's going to be the ground zero for the eclipse is Macanda, Illinois. And it's going to be a total eclipse for this area. And we're in Harrisburg going to get about one, about a minute and 50 seconds of total darkness. This is really a big deal. So for about a minute and a half, or a minute and 50 seconds, we're going to get total darkness. In Macanda, it's about two minutes and 40 seconds. That's the biggest amount of time anywhere in the world. And it's focused right on Macanda, Illinois. Well, what is the big deal? Well, the big deal is this. The last time, now listen, the last time there was a total eclipse of this duration in the St. Louis area, in our area, was 1448. Go back 50 years before Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Go back 50 years before Columbus. And that's the last time this happened. Nowhere. This, this separation, this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me as God turns his back on his son, never happened before and never will happen again. It was the biggest spiritual event. This whole passion thing is the biggest event. It's the biggest event in the history of mankind. And the way you overcome a negative Ellie, an extinction-level event that put all men to death, is that you provide life for anyone willing to say yes to Jesus. He had to trump the original Ellie, and he did. And it involved turning his back on his son. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So, so what is going on? What's, what is going on? What, what's the big picture, Dwayne, of all this? Well, here's the amazing thing. Again, time is a good thing to measure with. Now I want you to do this. I want you to think eight centuries, 800 years before the cross. 800 years before the cross. To help you, to help you, if Jesus was crucified today... What I'm about to tell you about occurred in the 1200s. We're in 2017. So if Jesus were to die today, what I'm about to tell you would have occurred in the 1200s. So 800 years before the cross, a prophet named Isaiah wrote about this. He wrote about the day when God would take action to reverse the effects of sin and death. The first Ellie. And here's what he writes in Isaiah 53. Part of what he writes in Isaiah 53. 
Yet, he was, now listen to these words, he was struck down by God. He being Jesus. Looking forward, 800 years before it occurred, 800 years, the prophet's looking forward to this day when, when Jesus cries and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 800 years looking forward to that. He says, what occurred that day was Jesus, his son, was struck down, not by Roman soldiers, but struck down by God. Wow. He was afflicted. Verse 5. He was pierced because of our transgressions. The nails that pierced him and the nails that pierced his feet, in fact, the Spear that pierced his side was for our transgressions. He also says this. He was crushed like a grape in a wine press. Like an olive in the olive press. He was crushed because of our iniquities. Not because of his. Not because of the situation that went bad but because of our iniquities. The penalty, the punishment for our peace was on him. In other words, God said that the way that you can have peace with me again, Dwayne, the way that you, the way Ellie can be overcome in your life, that you are spiritually dead, but the way that you can become alive, Dwayne, is by me crushing my son. And you believing In him, that he paid that price. Is that not incredible? It's it's amazing. He goes on and says this. We are healed by his wounds. Spiritually, for sure. Verse 6. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. Now, here it is. Here it is. 800 years. 800 years. 800 years before the crucifixion of Jesus. And the Lord has punished him. Punished him for the iniquity of us all. What's going on here? Is that Jesus Christ is bearing the brunt of God's wrath for our sins. Wow. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing stuff. Now, in case you're here today and you know Jesus, you're a Jesus follower, but you're kind of thinking... Yeah, but you know, God hasn't done this, and God hasn't done this, and God hasn't done this, and God hasn't done that, and I thought this, and I thought that. Would you just stop it? Would you just stop it? Would you once again pause what God did for you so you could have eternal life? If you're a Christ follower today, would you just relish and enjoy The lavish grace of God already poured out on your life. Amen. Enjoy it, believers. Oh, what wondrous love is this. Oh, my soul. Oh, my soul. What wondrous love is this. Wow. 
doesn't even stop there. Flashing forward now, just a few decades, maybe a couple decades after the crucifixion, the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the church at Corinth. And in that letter, he says such amazing words in view of this. Well, it's just amazing. I, I use this a lot, so allow me. Indulge me. For our sake, this is 2 Corinthians 5.21, English Standard Version. For our sake, let me get this. Totally, for our good and our redemption. Whatever Paul's fixing to say was for our good and our redemption. For our sake, he made him. God made Jesus. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. Now, I won't throw my hat into the great debate because, believe me, there's like a 50-50 split. You can take what you want to with it. But at a bare minimum, as Jesus is hanging on this cross, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, as Jesus is hanging on this cross, At this point, when he cries out and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At a bare minimum, every sin of every man, of every woman, of every child ever to be born on this earth was on him. Every sin. And to go one step further, because it does say... We wrestle with this because we can't get our arms around it. But he made him to be sin. Not that he became a sinner, but that he became this sin on this cross. How much sin? Every man, every woman, and every child. He made him to be sin that we might... Whoops, I should not miss this who knew no sin, so that in him, in him, through him, we might become the righteousness of God. So on that day, when Jesus cries out and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The sin of the entire world is poured out on Jesus Christ. How about that? And for the sole purpose... That we could become the righteousness. That we might have a right standing. That we might have a right standing with God. How about that? Through this mystery called the gospel and through grace. You might literally say that Jesus took my sin. And imputed, added to my account. His righteousness. See, God doesn't need your righteousness. He gave you the righteousness of His Son. Is that wonderful or what? I'm so glad. Look, I am so glad I don't have to produce my own righteousness. Because the Bible says all my righteousness is filthy rags. It's not much. It's nothing. But God imputes. He gives me the righteousness of His Son. And it doesn't stop there. In 1 John 4, 9, it says, In this the love of God was made manifest. In this we see the essence of love. 
And this love God was, God was manifested among us that God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world. I, I, God gave this to me like about a year ago into harm's way. You would never, most of us, 99% of us, would never put your child in intentional harm's way. You would never allow your child to play in the middle of a highway. You would not allow your, your child to play with a loaded gun or an unloaded gun as far as that goes. Or you would not allow your child to, to be near poison. You would not do that. You would not put your child in harm's way. God intentionally put his son in harm's way. He sent him into the world for the purpose of dying. Into the world so that we might what? Live. We were dead, and that we might live through him. I love this. In John three seventeen. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world, how many? Yeah, the world through him might be saved. I love this. You know, people say, I don't like, you know, this Jesus being the only way. Dude! Yes, Jesus Christ is the only way, but he invites every man, woman, and child, black, white, green, yellow, rich, or poor. It says, if you will receive God's grace and you believe in Christ and turn from your sin, you can come into the family. Wow. That's pretty amazing. He goes on and says this in 1 John 4.10. In this is love. This is the essence of love. Not that we loved God because we didn't. Because we didn't. Not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I don't like trying to sound smart, and I'm not trying to sound smart, but this is such a cool word. It carries... I I looked up and I read a good article by R.C. Sproul that really carried a good meaning of it. He said, this word propitiation in the Greek carries two meanings. The first is um, expiation. Expiation. Ex meaning removal. Exit means going out. Expiation. It means the removal of guilt by payment of a penalty. So when the Bible says that he became the propitiation, he paid the penalty so that our guilt could be removed. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? To expiate, to remove. He paid a penalty so our guilt should be, could be removed. But also, he was the propitiation. And the word pro there means for. So there's a negative and there's a positive. And what this simply means is this, that God changed his attitude toward us through his son, Jesus Christ. That we were the enemies of God, and we became the friends of God, and God became a friend of us. That, that, that we went from, being, from God opposing us to God being for us. Wow. And it didn't even stop there. And again, I think uh, the Holman Christian Standard New, New, uh, commentary, New, New Testament commentary said this. said, more ink has been spilt over this than probably any other thing. Because we can't get our arms around the fact that, that God needs to be appeased. But the, terrible, the terribleness of sin we can't grasp through the eyes and lens of a holy God. So I want you to get this. 
that that day on the cross, that Jesus Christ was the object of God's full wrath. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and God pours his wrath out on sin. And that day, along with all that's going on physically with Jesus, the full wrath of God is poured out on his son, Jesus Christ. So, so we, see, we see that God, a penalty is paid so that God can remove our guilt. We see that God changes his attitude toward us. We go from being an enemy of God to be a friend of God, that God is against us, that God is for us. And then all the wrath of God is poured out on him so it won't be paid out, poured out on us. All that is occurring that day when he cries out and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, if you know Jesus, do you, do you have a little better understanding of why we should always be overwhelmed with Jesus? You need to say amen. We need to be overwhelmed with him because of what happened that day on that cross. All right, clock says i got two minutes. We, I, want, I want to end with Romans chapter 3, just real quick. In Romans chapter 3, Paul writes these words that you're very familiar with if you go to church. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How many people have sinned? All. We all fall short of the glory of God. But that's verse 23. But we don't talk about verse 24 because it's really good. In verse 24, it goes, being justified freely by his grace. The word justified there is to be declared righteous. The removal of guilt, the removal of debt, to be declared righteous. Being justified freely, lavishly by his grace. I read something that's really good. If I can get it out right. And, and I've said these words. In fact, I said them not too long ago. That, you know, justification means in a small way, it means just as if I'd never sinned. And the author said, that so underplays what's happening here. And he quoted Chuck Swindoll. And Chuck Swindoll was saying, imagine this. Imagine you've been outside working in the yard and you are so filthy dirty. So you get in, you take a good hot shower, and you get the soap, and you're clean. And you get out of the shower, and you go, well, it's as if I never was dirty. And he said, that underplays what just happened. Better stated is, I was filthy, but now I'm clean. I was filthy, but now I'm clean. You know why I think we're not, why we're underwhelmed with Jesus? Because we forgot how filthy we were. We forgot how filthy we were. Justified means I, I was so filthy and unclean, but now I am clean. John Newton said it. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Before I go there, being justified fully by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 
Did you know that they estimate 50% of the population in the day of Jesus were slaves? 50%. They understood this term redemption. Because all the time, slaves were, were bought and sold, bought and sold. And I was a slave of sin. And when Jesus paid the price, he said, Dwayne, if you will follow me, if you'll turn from your sin and follow me, I will redeem you from the slave market of sin. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God loved you enough to let his son go through this, that we could be made alive again. And thank you, David, once again, for the word of the day. Let's be overwhelmed with Jesus. It's time that we as believers stop being underwhelmed. You you want to know why we're underwhelmed? Because we confuse this building and this with Jesus. If we keep our focus on Christ, we'll be overwhelmed. But we put our focus on religion and what we do, you know, the religious stuff, we'll be underwhelmed every time. All right, so if you're here today, If you're here today, you may say, that sure sounded awful religious to me. Well, with no apologies. I don't mean it sound religiously. I want to tell you the greatest love story there ever is. That God took a horrible event, an extinction-level event, where every person spiritually died and gave them life if they're willing to accept Christ, including you. If you're here today, the Bible says that we are spiritually dead. We're separated from God. But regardless of what you've done, whatever your sin list is, if you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus and turn from your sin and follow him, he'll forgive you today. He'll forgive you today. That's what that was all about. So we're going to have a time of decision here. I'll be standing down front. And I've, I've, I've tried to tell you a lot today about this. I'm, I've got an appointment tomorrow with a guy at 1030 who's got questions. If you've got questions, I don't know if we can answer them all here now, but we can sure try to get some of them answered here, and we can certainly try during the week to answer as many questions as you can. Some I won't have answers for. God's too big. God's too big. But I would love the opportunity to share with you today about what you heard today, to give you the opportunity to follow the man who loved you so much. He died for you. Now, for every person here today, who has followed Christ, who has followed Christ. I hope you have a better understanding, a deeper understanding, a clearer understanding of just what that was about. It wasn't just Easter. It was the biggest event in the history of mankind. So I pray that we'll be totally overwhelmed with God's amazing grace in what Jesus Christ has done for us. Let's pray. Well, God, thank you very much for the privilege of sharing this today. Your love is is just amazing. It's just amazing. To think that, that you orchestrated such a grand rescue plan for mankind. When, in total fairness, you could have just annihilated all of us. You could have started all over again. But instead... You provided forgiveness and grace for the whosoever wills 
in the world. So if there's a friend here today who's never trusted Christ as Savior, may today be that day. May they not be able to walk out the door. May they not be able to walk out the door. May they be drawn to Jesus today. And for every one of us, may we be enamored, Jesus, with you. May we be overwhelmed with you today. My God, my God, why did you, why have you forsaken me? And the answer is because of us. Thank you for that. Jesus, I pray it in your precious name. Amen.